Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Dublin Story Slam podcast is part of The Warren, the home of great Irish podcasts. As is my podcast, Meet Your Maker. You'll find loads of great shows at thewarren.ie. Welcome to the Dublin Story Slam podcast. And this month we are bringing you highlights from a show we put on last month, just at the end of June, as part of Pride 2020. And we were delighted to team up with Belong To. Um, Belong To is a national charity which offers support to young LGBTI plus people. And as part of this year's Pride, we wanted to share stories from this community, I suppose about a time that they felt courageous. So we're going to bring you three stories that um, all of our storytellers were like in their in their teens, in their mid-teens. And it's about the power that can come from taking tiny little steps, um, but that can lead to big, massive impacts on, on your life. And I think that's a message, really, that, that can be applied to, to everyone, uh, especially in these days of... COVID-19 and the lockdown and the uncertainty, you know, and sometimes it's not actually about taking big actions. It's it's more about just getting up every day and putting on your clothes and washing your teeth and, you know, how sometimes these little actions can be little acts of bravery all on their own. So we really hope uh, you, you find these stories uplifting and, and, and inspiring. And we're going to start with Rhiannon Kennedy. And Rhiannon, who uses the pronouns she and her, Rhiannon is like the best advertisement for what organisations like Belong To do and just how important they are to the people who use their services. And just a heads up for our international listeners, a leap card, which Rhiannon mentions in the story, um, that's basically a bus pass. So it allows you to travel around the city of Dublin. Okay, so this is Rhiannon Kennedy. So um, I'm Rhiannon, I'm 18, and the story takes place when I was 16. So when I was a younger teenager, I was like, all my time was spent in my room. I had virtually no social life and no desire to have any, frankly. Um, I this kind of like came from just not wanting to reveal who I was to other people because I didn't know myself who I was. And that was basically my life for a good few years. Um, but in the summer, two years ago, I, one day as I was in my room, I went online and on an app 
and I met this boy who lived in America um, and we just started talking, not thinking much of it, but pretty soon we realized it was a very um, strong connection between us and we basically just put all of ourselves into this relationship that we developed and we spoke every single day we uh, organize our sleep schedules to just be like waking up at the exact same time and talking for the whole day on FaceTime. And our entire lives became revolved around one another. And I finally had this sense of connecting to someone and feeling loved, uh, which I hadn't had because I was so isolated. And so it was as good as it could have been um, for a virtual relationship, it was, the connection was very real and intense and romantic and it was pretty good. Like I would have said that I was in love. Um, but the summer came to an end and then the honeymoon phase as it does kind of came to an end as well. And I found myself back in this place of isolation. Um, the plans that I made with this boy were all of a sudden not enough to keep me going, but we had saved hundreds of euros for a plane ticket for him to visit the following summer. And as the days went on, it just kind of wasn't enough anymore. And he started to pull away and because of some issues in his own life. And after three or four months, as relationships often do, it just kind of fell apart. Um, and he needed space, I needed closeness, and it just wasn't working. But I was so shocked to be back in a place of isolation because I thought, oh, this is great. I've met my person and I don't need to feel bad ever again. But I still felt isolated and I talked to my friends about it almost every day I said I'll give it one more week and see if it gets better I'll give it another and another week but it never did and so I thought am I gonna go back to how it was before and isolate myself again or do I need a change and so I spent a few weeks in denial um, but then realized that I do need to take some action and change something in my life so I Googled how to do that <laughs> as though it was so simple that a WikiHow article was going to tell me how to fix my life. But I found resources online and youth groups and the idea of that after being so antisocial um, and such an introvert for years, the idea of going into a room full of strangers and introducing myself when I didn't know who I was, I didn't know who I was going to introduce myself as. It was terrifying. So I closed all the tabs and put it away for another while. But eventually, my relationship was still very bad. And I knew that I needed something good to happen. So I heard about Belong To and their youth services. Um, and I thought, okay, let me sleep on this for a week or two and see if it's something that I could build up the courage to go to. And so because I felt just at rock bottom, I felt so empty and defeated that this relationship hadn't worked, I knew I needed to reach out.
So I planned to go to their Sunday group and I thought, you know what? I'm so confident. This is going to be great. I am able to walk into this room. I have confidence. I can be assertive and talkative. And as I stood at the end of Capel Street and saw the building at the other end, my whole body just switched. It was, my body was buzzing and I was terrified. And with each step that I took, I was walking slower and slower. And I just did not want to get to that front door. Um, I saw people outside and I thought, how they know each other. How am I supposed to fit into this situation? Um, and so I stood not talking to anyone for a while, for like 10 minutes, um, until someone came up to me and introduced themselves and asked me my name and where I'm from and asked me about myself. And I had forgotten that I had anything to say about myself. I had forgotten that there was a person to introduce within me. And this person was so friendly and is still a good friend of mine to this day. Um, but they brought me in and sat me down at the table with all of the people in the group. And everybody was just, it was like a ball of light inside that building. It was people just laughing and sharing experiences and asking people genuinely wanting to know about one another. And over the weeks that I had been so unhappy before that, I had just forgotten that that can happen and that you can feel good um, without sacrificing your needs for people. And so I don't remember much of the day, but I remember spending time with those people after the group and knowing that this was going to be a big thing for me. And on the bus on the way home that day from town, I texted uh, the boy that I was in a relationship with and I ended it because I finally felt supported enough to step away from what wasn't making me unhappy anymore. Um, or wasn't making me happy, but I, yeah, so I then had gotten people's, you know, Instagrams and Snapchats from that day, a group, and they told me like, yeah, we're gonna hang out until next weekend, and the one after that, and the one after that, and I thought, wow, this is so, this is so cool. So I went online, and I thought, you know what, I think I'm gonna need a leap card. So I got, I got my little leap card, and I was so excited. The day that I got this was one of the most exciting days, because I thought, what if I actually am? I think I actually am this extroverted person who is so excited to be around other people when they're the right people. And from that day, I did workshops with Belong To and gained all this confidence and went to town every single week. And I realized that just making that one difficult but healthy decision to reach out and to make a positive change and inspired me to make other healthy decisions, which just snowballed into me becoming this person that I am right now. And it was really just the turning point for me changing my whole life around and 
I'm really grateful to have that support and that friend who came up to me, who invited me in and introduced themselves to me. And it taught me how to be brave. So thank you to everyone I belong to. Um, this is just coincidentally a story that involved belong to. I didn't mean to do that, but uh, yeah, I hope that you guys can learn a bit about how it's just so important to, to reach out because it can change your whole life for you. So thank you so much for listening. Well done. Thank you. Well done. Thank you very much. That was Rhiannon Kennedy, and I've never really thought of a bus pass as being like a, a symbol of freedom or empowerment, but I think in that particular story, it really was. So thank you, Rhiannon. Our second storyteller comes from Elle, who uses the pronoun they and them. And Elle shared this story about the power of celebrating your own weaknesses, your own flaws. You know, and, and not trying to be perfect all the time. And as Elle kind of shows us the, you know, but the power and, and, and the, the, the poison of the internet is, is that eternal quest to, you know, put yourself out there as being perfect when inside maybe you're, you're not feeling so good. So here's Elle. All right. Hello. Um, so I am an artist or a creator. I like enjoy my creative outlets. And one of those is art. Uh, drawing and I particularly like drawing people and characters because they are fascinating and people are pretty um, and I've been doing this for a good few years now and at some point along that journey I started posting them to Instagram which was interesting because it initially was super positive I was getting loads of wonderful feedback and I was feeling really proud of my art um, but, you know, slowly I started to count the likes and uh, judge my art based on that. And I had kind of got dug into this rut where I just wasn't enjoying making art as much. And it didn't, I didn't feel as connected to it. Um, so in, I was in college and uh, I was at this party. And, you know, there was drinking and drama and all that fun stuff. Um, and at one point during the night, there was somebody who I didn't particularly get along with. And I was very mad. I was, I was pissed off. I didn't like what they were doing. And instead of talking to them or expressing that, I waited till they left the room and I punched something. I punched a chair. Um, unfortunately, this chair was uh, stronger than my fist. <laughs> Um, and so I broke my knuckle and it was on my right hand, which is the hand that I use to draw and everything else. Um, and so I was in a cast for the next three to four months. Um, and because I was told very early on in the process that at once this is done, you will, your hand will probably go back to normal. Um, I was determined to be independent and go it on my own. And I was not going to ask for help. So I was learning how to do things like get dressed with my left hand and, uh, you know, I got I, like unscrewing a bottle um, one handed is a very interesting experience. But there were certain things that I just really struggled with, such as playing guitar or writing or drawing. And 
So because of this determination to get back to normal, to get back to how it used to be, which I'm sure a lot of people can relate to at the moment, um, I was trying to draw and write with my left hand. And my drawings were very shaky and uneven, and I couldn't get nearly the control I had with my right hand. And I was judging myself unfairly because I was trying to get back to not just normal with uh, my, my right hand, but also I was judging my left hand with my dominant hand. Um, and so when I finally got out of the cast, I immediately tried to start drawing again and my muscles had atrophied. So I wasn't, you know, I didn't have as much strength or control in that hand and my art was still not as good as I thought it should be. Um, and I put a huge amount of weight on that getting better for my mental health. And I thought, you know, if I can draw and I can get back to how it used to be, then my mental health will go back to how it used to be. But it didn't go that way. Um, not for a while. And it was, I mean, it was starting to go uphill. Um, and then I was trying to learn a new skill um, because that's, you know, it's a good creative outlet, except <laughs> my new skill was a little bit interesting. It was, uh, I was trying to learn how to throw knives. And before you start getting very worried about uh, my sanity, I have taken some knife safety courses and I'm, I know how to use tools properly. And I had, you know, watched a whole lot of YouTubes on, uh, on how to throw knives safely. Um, but at, towards the end of the day, I was getting tired and I was frustrated with not being as good as I wanted to be. And I made a mistake. I was being stupid and I cut my hand. Um, and it was the same hand. Uh, and so I ran to my dad and I was holding the wound and I was like, I'm going to go into shock because I could feel how bad it was. Um, and so I sat down and I did and I went to the hospital and it turns out I had, I had severed two of my tendons, these two fingers, um, which is awful, but I can move them now. Um, but the doctors told me that if I injured them again during the healing process, my hand might never return to normal. And that broke me. I was so, I was holding on to my life before so much that the idea that it could possibly never happen just stopped my <laughs> determined uh, lone wolf act in its tracks. And I just couldn't do the thing that I had done before where I was only looking towards the future. And I was forced almost to take it day by day and take it slowly and stop holding on to that dream of everything will just be back to the way it was. <laughs> And it really helped. It, I changed the way that I was going through my healing process. I was asking for help if I needed something being carried or um, I was taking it easy on myself whenever I tried to draw with my left hand. And I was leaning into those imperfections. And by the end, of when I was coming out of it, and I'm still not fully through the healing process, it'll be another year or more before I have the full use of my hand back, but I didn't have that pressure to draw like I did before. And so I was just drawing because I felt like it and because I wanted to have a creative outlet. 
and this accumulated in a self-portrait that I did. I, it wasn't a big idea that I had, it was just I took a selfie and put it on the screen in front of me and started to draw it. Um, and I spent almost six to eight hours on that drawing and I was taking my time. I was, if I didn't feel happy with something, I would just rub it out and try it again and I would take my time and I would just stop myself from getting too worried about if this was perfect. And by the end of it, I had made something that I had, I don't think I've been pr this proud of a drawing for a long time. And it just like proved to me that I, if you're, if I had, I had the ability to be patient and I had the ability to be proud of what I had created. Um, and <laughs> that patience and that I had had and the idea that this doesn't have to be perfect just really helped the entire journey that I'd gone on. And it really re like established what I wanted out of my art. And I didn't want to make this stuff for other people. I was doing this because I connected with it and because it was something that helped me. Hold up, what was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Afterwards, when Colm was speaking to Elle, Colm O'Regan, who's our, our regular host, um, he asked Elle to show us the portrait that they did of themselves. And it's like one of those pictures where it captures the personality as much as the, 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 the appearance of the person in the picture. Um, you can find it on uh, Elle's Instagram account, um, which is at Sammy Khan, which is S-A-M-M-M for mother, Y-C-A-H-N-N for Nigel. Um, or you can head over to our YouTube channel where we have a, a video of the story up and you can um, actually see 
um, the, 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 the beautiful portrait um, that Elle did. And I say all that, but obviously Elle's kind of taking a break from, um, you know, Instagram and not posting as much stuff. But still, it's a really wonderful portrait. Our last story of the podcast uh, was from our very special guest for the evening. Now, Colin McGorman here in Ireland is really well known. He's the executive director of Amnesty International Ireland. Um, He set up a charity, One in Four, which supports adult survivors of childhood sexual abuse. Colm has been a victim and a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, um, very famously bringing the Roman Catholic Church to court in a lawsuit. So this story is set before all of that happens. And I suppose is about finding the support and friendship and love at a time when you just really, really needed it. This is Colm O'Gorman. My story starts when I was 17, which is a little while ago now. It's uh, January 1984. And I was living in Wexford Town, where I spent most of my teenage years. I've grown up in South Wexford. And because of um, a number of years of sexual violence and trauma, I couldn't have survived had I stayed there. So at 17, I packed a suitcase and hitched to Dublin. If anybody knows the Bronskivit song, Small Town Boy, that was me in some ways. I can't hear that song without remembering 17-year-old me hitting the road and finding myself uh, um, on the way to Dublin. Which, when I think about it, was also a fairly extraordinary, might seem like a fairly extraordinary brave thing to do, but it was more driven by absolute necessity because I I just wouldn't have survived had I stayed. So I found myself in Dublin, a country boy, having never really left home at all, um, and I spent the first six months in Dublin living on the streets, uh, homeless. Um, there was nowhere to go and there was no support. I remember once going into a social welfare office to ask for help. And they told me that because I was under 18, I was my family's responsibility and I should go home immediately. But I couldn't go home. And um, my hometown was not a safe place for me to be. I couldn't have gone back. So I had to stay. So I spent those six months um, either finding a bed to sleep in because uh, somebody uh, would exploit me to give me that bed or walking around the city all night and just finding some way to stay out of sight as much as I could and trying to stay safe. I remember sleeping under a bush in a park in Ranada. I remember walking around all night and there'd be days when I'd then go into the toilets in Burger King on O'Connell Street downstairs and lock myself in a a cubicle and fall asleep for a couple of hours until somebody came in and kicked me out. But I just did my best to get by and, and stay safe. And um, it was bleak, to put it mildly, but it was better than what I was running away from. Um, I also remember St. Patrick's Day that year and um, watching O'Connell Street because I was always around within about a mile of O'Connell Street or Temple Bar, that kind of area. Um, and I remember St. Patrick's Day watching the same pa- watching the streets fill up for St. Patrick's Day and all of those families there and everything that was happening and then them all leaving and I was just there in the, in the debris of the day and going into a phone booth and dialing my home. I didn't have money for the, for the call, but, but calling my home number and my brother answering the phone. And at that, phase, at that point, you had to put money in and press button B to continue the call. Most people on this call won't remember that. But I remember just hearing my brother's voice and then knowing that it would hang up. But that was, that was what I needed to hear on that day again, just to keep going. So everything was about finding ways to survive and keep going. But I also heard about a place um, 
the National Gay Federation, which then was in, in Founsa Street Lower, down behind the Central Bank in Temple Bar. And for those who don't know it, uh, who, who didn't know Temple Bar then, Temple Bar is a very, very different place, or was a very different place then to the way it is now. There were no cobblestones, for instance. Those are a, a relatively recent transfer into the area. And it was fairly kind of run down. It was all run down shops and, and, and buildings, lots of funky little secondhand shops and vintage shops and poster shops and that kind of stuff and little community spaces. But it was a fairly derelict, uh, dark space. But the one place that was there was the, the National Gay Federation down behind the Central Bank. And they had a club night called Flickers. And that was the little um, uh, flyer that I held up earlier on. And I heard about that place and I knew I had to go there. I was 17. And I'd grown up in an Ireland where nobody talked about sexuality, where the only time that people talked about, about homosexuality or about the existence of gay people was to, to suggest that we were a threat, that there was something wrong or corrupt or vile or, or evil or twisted about us. There were no positive um, um, role models out there. But I knew I had to get to that place. And I remember walking down there that night and standing back because I knew where it was. I'd gone down the day before and found out where the building was during the day. And then I went down there that night and I remember standing back up on the corner watching people approach the door because I didn't know who I was going to meet or what these people were going to be like. But watching people go up to the door and they'd ring a doorbell and then the door would be answered and then they'd go in and it would close again. And maybe a few people would arrive at once, but it was generally just one or, one or two people coming at a time. So eventually I plucked up the courage to go down and I went down and I rang the doorbell and the door opened and this lovely fella answered the door. His name was Martin. I remember his name. And he was just a really friendly, ordinary fella, which threw me in the first place because he was really, really ordinary. And he welcomed me in. I didn't know what I was expecting, but I wasn't expecting ordinary and friendly and open and pleasant. And I walked in and, and you went in and up some stairs, a metal stairs up onto the first floor where there was the dance floor there in, in, in the club. And there was a coffee bar because it didn't have a license because this was the 1980s and gay people weren't allowed to exist so we certainly allowed to, weren't allowed to have clubs with licenses so there was a coffee bar there and I stood in the corner looking out at this dance floor where hundreds of people were just dancing and there were all of these men there of all different ages ordinary looking people beautiful people just dancing and so full of joy and I remember standing there and looking at them and thinking all of these people are gay and they're happy and this is joyful and this is amazing. And I didn't know what to do. I think I just stood there for most, I didn't dance. I stood there for most of the night just watching what was happening. And that building became a place that saved my life because um, within a couple of days, I think on that night, I found out about the youth group that met, met there every Sunday. This was the belong to of 35 years ago, the LGBT youth group in, in, in uh, the NGF. And I came back there on the Sunday for the first time and went into the youth group and spent the afternoon there. And I found my tribe. And um, I found friends and family and love and support and acceptance. I fell in love for the first time, which was just joyful because I didn't know that was possible. Because of everything that happened to me before, I thought my sexuality meant, you know, furtive, seedy, nasty, unpleasant stuff. Uh, I didn't even understand that I could fall in love or that love was in my future. And I found that there. And what I started to find was myself uh, and enough safety to begin to just begin to work out who I was. Uh, and it all started um, with that walk down to Flickers that night. 
Um, two years later, I moved to London and I lived in London for 17 years. And finally, when I was 28, I used to say that I'd, I'd started to stop running and that that meant, so I found enough certainty and, and, and um, settled, I was settled enough in my life at that point uh, that I felt like I wasn't running anymore. And I used to think it was that at that point, when I stopped running, things started to kind of catch up and I knew that I needed to go back and deal with stuff. And actually, I've come to realize over the last couple of years that it wasn't that I'd started to stop running. It was that I'd arrived at the place that I was running to. Because when I ran away from Wexford, I wasn't running away from somewhere. I was running towards something. I was running towards a discovery of myself uh, and my own capacity to make the decisions and to do the things that were right for me. And that all started that night in 1984 in Fonza Street in Dublin when I decided to knock on a door. And that's my story. Donald McGorman there with a really moving story about the power and the joy of community. So a really wonderful way to finish off the evening. Um, If you want to find out more about the work that Belong To does, the services that Belong To offer, which is like everything from simple texts, you know, to young people who who are feeling that they need support, to classroom visits, you know, and trying to make sure that um, places for young people are safe and welcoming, especially for the LGBTI plus community. So the work they do is now more than ever absolutely crucial. So belong to that org to learn more, maybe avail of their services, and if you can, to make a donation. Uh, if you want to watch the show, it is all up there on YouTube. Um, so we do these shows on Zoom now because... That's the new brave world that we live in. Uh, If you want to come along to a live show, we do them completely free. Um, So just head over to the DublinStorySlam.com and we will tell you when the next one is on. If you like today's show, please do consider leaving us a review. That's the little high five and emotional hug that you can give us um, without actually physically touching us. So it is socially distanced support (laughs) at its very best. Um, My name is Julian Clancy and you have been listening to the Dublin Story Slam podcast. Take care of yourself and we'll talk to you on the next episode of the Dublin Story Slam podcast. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.